How many baked good lovers do we have in the house this morning? Baked good lovers. How many bakers do we have in the house this morning? How many of you prefer to have the baked goods without the baking? <laughs> I think we could probably all agree on a couple of things this morning, and that is this, is that there's a certain thing we're all looking for in our baked goods, right? Let's get the obvious one out of the way, no nuts. We already know that for the most part. But for the most part, when we're thinking about our baked goods, what are we thinking about? A brownie, you want a moist brownie with just the right amount of topping to add a little bit of sweetness and then consistency throughout the whole dish. Right? I mean, I've never heard anyone say, man, I just would like a little harder brownie. <laughs> like it to be a little crispier. We like it nice and moist. We all agree on that's the end product. That's what we want. The question is, how do we get there? Some of you leave your butter sitting out a little bit longer than others. Some of you do this thing called sifting. I've never understood sifting. Some of you, just like me, you just dump everything in and go. But we all use a little different technique, but we all want the same end product. You could, be, you could say the exact same thing is true of life. I would contend that every single one of us wants the exact same end thing. We want eternal life. I haven't met one person who doesn't want eternal life. I've had to bury a lot of people that have had nothing to do with God, would never claim the name of Jesus. Yet, I haven't had one person yet in a funeral home come up to me and say, I'm so glad that there's nothing after this life. Not once. We all want the exact same thing, eternal life. But not only do we want eternal life, we want quality life right now. Again, who wakes up in the morning and says, I hope today has no quality to it at all. I hope today is horrible. Everybody wants quality in life. We want to live. The question is not do we agree on the destination. The question is, how do we get there? We all want the same destination. It's what technique are we going to use to get there. This morning, we hear some interesting words from Jesus as he calls out to his followers and says to them, hey, my moment is here when I reach my destiny. And then he follows it up right away by saying, this is how you also reach your destiny. And so we ask the question this morning, how do we get that life? How do we get the life we want today and the life for eternity? Well, first, let's take a moment and consider, how does Jesus get victory? How does Jesus get the life, get that moment of victory that everybody wants? Today is known to many people as Palm Sunday. Palm Sunday is when we remember that Jesus comes to Jerusalem and they have a big celebration for him. They're breaking out palm branches. And you have to remember that this scene is really a military conquest. This is not some nice little Sunday school thing where the kids are gathering around and like, oh, nice Jesus is here. No, no, no. On one side of Jerusalem, you've got people that are taking their shirts off, that are waving palm branches, that are screaming, the Messiah is here, the Messiah is here. And on the other side of town, you've got Roman authorities that are saying to themselves, ah, how can we squelch this movement? We've got a governor on the other side of town that's thinking to himself, I've got to do something about this or my bosses aren't going to be happy. 
And they're not saying it because they're scared of some little Sunday school movement. They're scared of it because they know there's a movement coming, and they think at the moment a military leader. And that's what the people think who are standing around Jesus. You see, they see Jesus riding in a, on a donkey. That takes them back to Old Testament prophecy that reminds them that your Messiah is going to come on a donkey. And now they believe the moment has come. The Messiah has arrived. The Messiah is going to conquer on their behalf. And Jesus even says it himself. John chapter 12, he says, verse 23, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Up to this point, if you read in the Gospel of John, there's three other times when they approach Jesus and basically saying, hey, could you do something great? I, I think the moment is here. And Jesus clearly says, my hour has not come. And so the disciples have heard this phrase before, my hour has not come. But now Jesus says, this is it. My hour has come. In other words, this is the moment. And then he finishes by saying what? The Son of Man to be glorified. In non-religious language, Jesus is saying this, my moment of greatness has come. The moment has come when I am going to rule and going to reign. And so they're thinking, this is awesome. This is it. This is what we've been following Jesus for. We've been mocked. We've been laughed at. But Jesus has got something completely different in mind. The moment of greatness that they're expecting on Palm Sunday, they have no idea is going to lead to a week of betrayal, and ultimately a week of death. That's what Jesus predicts. Right after he says, my moment of greatness has come, he says this, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. In other words, Jesus is giving a prediction right now about what's to come. Jesus' greatness does not come through military conquest. Jesus' greatness comes through his own humiliating death. In other words, Jesus finds that sweet spot, life now and life for eternity. How? Through death, through his crucifixion. And then he says to his followers, hey, guess what? You want that life? You want eternal life? Guess what? That's what you got to do as well. He says, you have to die as well. You have to hate your own life. To quote Jesus directly, he says, whoever loves his life loses it. Whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. And Jesus was not interested at this point in gathering a crowd. Jesus was interested in finishing his mission. His mission was to die so that he could have give the quality of life and the quantity of life to those who would call on his name. And so this morning, when you and I have a destiny in mind, quality and quantity, Jesus says there's one path. And it's not the path that you and I are thinking. There's a reason that Jesus isn't very popular. It's because the message of Jesus is counterintuitive. There's a reason that we don't automatically run to Jesus. It's because what Jesus says just sometimes rubs us the wrong way. I mean, if we are really honest, and we say, do we really like what Jesus says? There's maybe, maybe 15 to 20% of what Jesus says that we're like, yes, I love that. Like when Jesus is on the cross and he says, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. It's like, right, everybody loves that. It's like, oh, I love that. 
But when Jesus says to a guy that wants to follow him, the guy says to Jesus, hey, first let me go bury my dad. That makes a ton of sense, right? We would all agree you shouldn't skip your father's funeral, and I don't mean to make light of this. Jesus is the one who makes light of it. He says, let the dead bury the dead. Come and follow me. Another spot, people come up to Jesus and they're like, this is awesome. We love these miracles. What do we need to do? The crowd is growing. At this point, it's like, hey, Jesus, this is our chance. Let's get more followers. What does Jesus say this time? Take up your cross and follow me. This is before Jesus' death on the cross. They're not even thinking it. So when Jesus says, take up your cross and follow me, he's saying this to them. You need to be executed. Because the cross was an instrument of execution. Jesus has tough words, and maybe not so much tough words, as a counterintuitive message for how we achieve what all of us want to achieve. Very simply said, Jesus is calling you and I to a cross-centered life. That you and I should pursue eternal life and quality of life today through the cross of Jesus Christ. If our Savior, if the King of the universe accomplishes His victory through the cross, how much more for you and I? Before we get into the hard stuff, though, let's take a step back, and I, and I want to put some sweetness in all of our hearts this morning. Look with me in John chapter 12, because too often we pass over this. John 12, Jesus makes some amazing promises. John 12, he says this in, in verse 25 at the end. Keep it for eternal life. Whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. That's a good promise. That's a good deal. If you want to call this a reward, call it a reward. You want to call it a promise, whatever you want to call it, I call it good. Jesus is like eternal life. Awesome. I'll take it. That's a good thing. Now check out the next reward. Check out the next reward. And don't skim over this stuff. Sometimes we treat the rewards of God like how I treat my, when I try to get my kids to behave, it's like, what? Go to bed right now tonight. I'll take you to Disney World tomorrow. I don't care. Go to bed. Everybody knows we're not going to Disney World tomorrow. But in that moment, you use the reward what? Just as a little carrot stick to get some better behavior. Okay, God doesn't need a little carrot stick to get better behavior out of you and I. So when Jesus gives a promise we better pay attention. Check this one out. Check this out at the end of verse 26. Where I am, there will my servant be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. The Father will honor him. How cool is that? That the creator of the universe, the God Almighty, would what? Honor you. Would put his seal of approval on you. Would say, you are mine. It's a big deal. It's a good thing. It's a good thing to have God like you. How much more not just like you, but honor you. Amazing rewards that Jesus has promised and declares here. I say, yeah, baby, let's go for it. Well, how do we go for it? We go through the cross of Jesus Christ. As he says, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Whoever loves his life loses it, and whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. 
In other words, he's saying what he said multiple times before. Take up your cross and follow Jesus Christ. So what does that mean? What does it mean to have a cross-centered life, to pursue this life that Jesus is calling us to? First is this, death to self. Death to self. There's no other way to explain it. There's no way to gloss over it and make it simple. The way to the life that Jesus wants us to have and what Jesus is calling us to is for you and I to say, what I want is not what's best. I need to put to death my selfish ambitions. That's what it means to take up your cross. It literally means to put to your put your old self, your, your sinful self, to death. So if you're going to live a cross-centered life, we've got to ask all of our, about all of our ambitions. Is this what I want or is this what Jesus Christ wants? Is this what I want or is this what Jesus wants? Secondly, a cross-centered life is not going to be comfortable. Again, don't take my word for it. Look at everybody in the Bible. Find me one person in the Bible after the resurrection of Jesus Christ that has it what we would consider good. It's rough. And it's not just rough like, man, there's some kids mocking me at the playground rough. It's rough like we have to hide from the authorities or we're dead rough. It's not going to be comfortable. Jesus said it himself multiple times in John 14, 15, and 16 that you're going to face persecution. It's going to get difficult. We have to know the way of the cross is rough. But check this out. Check this out. Don't lose sight of the promise. Don't lose sight of the promise. The Father will honor him. It's so much easier to fight through pain, to fight through struggle when you know you have what? Someone with you. This is true just in the physical realm as well, right? You go through something difficult, you need somebody there with you to cheer you on, to walk alongside of you. How much more do we need the presence of God and the, the promise of God that He will honor us, that He'll be with us in the midst of the difficult path? It's uncomfortable, but guess what? God says He's honoring us. There's nothing more amazing, nothing more great that we could have. The cross-centered life is going to mean death to our personal ambitions. The cross-centered life means that it's not going to be comfortable. And here's the final one. The cross-centered life means that performance is gone. Performance is gone. I think this one right here is the most difficult one for this crowd that's gathered here today. Because everybody in this crowd likes to do something to get something. Everybody in this crowd is built around that mentality that I have to perform to get somebody's approval. It's so saturated in our culture. Pull yourself up by your own bootstraps. I'll try harder. Do better next time. A cross-centered life has one word. Done. 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 Jesus goes to the cross once and for all. There's nothing you can do. There's nothing you can do to gain God's approval for what Jesus has already done at the cross. How dare we even think 
that there's activity or character that we can develop that would get God to love us more. How can God love us anymore? He's killed his own son. The cross screams, it's done. And so many of us are living under this trap of trying harder and harder and harder. It just, it's creeped into our system. So many of you struggle in your prayer life. And if we got to the root of it, you know why you struggle in your prayer life? Because you don't think you have God's approval. And so you're like, I don't think I should pray today. I wasn't very good yesterday. You may not say that, but it's what you're thinking and what it's deep down here. You pray when things are going well, right? You're spiritually strong. You're reading your Bible. You're serving at church and you're praying. So you feel more comfortable approaching God. When in reality, we approach God because of the cross of Jesus Christ. Nothing we've done. I've seen this firsthand so many times. And this last week, I was reminded of maybe the most powerful way I've ever seen this. Every March 23rd, I take a little visit to a park here in Sioux Falls. Fifteen years ago at a park here in Sioux Falls, I met a young seven-year-old child at that time. I met that young child at that time through another person, long story, that connected with me with them that basically this child was walking around one night in the rain without shoes on and their parents had kicked the seven-year-old out. So I had met this child once and I told this other person, I want to do something. I was just a naive college student at that time. What, what can I do for this, for this kid? So I kind of became a mentor to this kid for a little bit, for a couple of, of months. And the first question that that kid asked me when I met that kid in the park was, when is my mom coming home? Long story, long journey with that child, mentored for, mentored for a little while. Fast forward 10 years, get a phone call one day as a chaplain for the police department, go and do my normal visit, show up on the scene of a, of a suicide. Who's the suicide? The young child from that park. Go on and deliver the news to the, to the mom who I'd become close, or at least knew of. And the mom said, hey, could you go tell dad? And I said, I didn't know there was a dad in the picture. She said, yeah, let's go tell the dad. Went and told the dad, and the dad just broke down, obviously. Felt absolutely horrible. Seen a lot of guilt in a lot of situations. This is the worst of the guilt I had ever seen. Spent a lot of time together. Said, you know, I can make a commitment best I can. I'm going to come and visit you, try, you know, every couple of months, come, come and visit you. Come and visit that dad every, every couple of months. And every couple of months, he would open up with the exact same phrase, almost ideally exact same phrase every month. I've been trying harder, chaplain. I've been trying harder, chaplain. Constantly. Finally, about a year ago, he says, I've been trying harder, chaplain. And you might think this is rude of me. I don't know if this was the right thing to say or not. I said to him, if you say that one more time, I'm never coming back again. He's, oh, okay. The wife, mother, was always kind of sitting off on the side whenever I'd come over for a visit. Never totally understood. We've kind of got an interesting relationship. Whatever, I, she had obviously heard me say that. Came back a couple months later for, for a visit again. What does he say? I've been trying harder, chaplain. I've been trying harder, chaplain. I said, hey, what did I say last time? 
He said, you said you're not going to come back, but you're back. I said, well, I had to come back and see if you were going to say it again. I said, but I'm not coming back again. So we had kind of had our normal visit, talked about anything and everything. The mom comes up to me. She's getting ready to leave. Bawling. I said, this is the first time. This is the first time I've prayed in 13 years. It's the first time I've prayed in 13 years. And I was kind of like, her and I have not really talked much at all. I'm like, what, what, what happened? She said, remember when you were talking to him last month? I listened to everything you said last month. I never thought that I could go and talk to God because I was responsible for her death. It is ingrained. It, it gets ingrained. And it takes a lot. That's a drastic situation. But that mindset, that heart set, flows into all of us. I have to try harder. Guilt and shame is extremely powerful. And there's only one mechanism to overcome guilt and shame that brings true freedom. It's the cross of Jesus Christ. It's the only way that I know, but more importantly, it's not about what I know, and I can tell you it's the only thing I've experienced because I had an opportunity. I had an opportunity to make sure that that child didn't go back into that home, and I allowed that child to go back into that home. But there's only one way, the cross of Jesus Christ. Some of you are carrying guilt and shame from things that you've done in the past, past relationships, past parenting mistakes. Some of you are carrying guilt and shame from things left undone. There's only one way through the cross of Jesus Christ. There is no try harder. There is no, I'm going to gain God's access by doing it better next time. You might do it better next time, but you can never do it good enough for a perfect God. But thankfully, that perfect God sent His Son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross in our place. It's done. Palm Sunday reminds us that Jesus is victorious as a king, not through the military, but through the cross that He dies on, on our behalf. And now for you and I today to enter into the life that He has promised us, it's not through more, more performance, it's not through more church activity. It's through the cross of Jesus Christ. To begin to enter into a cross-centered life where we say, I need to die to self. I need to acknowledge that I'm sinful in who I am. It's death to self. It's acknowledgement that says, it's not going to be comfortable. It's not going to be comfortable following the way of the cross because it's not the way of the world. And it's saying, I'm done trying harder. I'm done performing. God accepts me because of Jesus Christ, not because of what I've done. And so today, God is offering, giving eternal life, giving life today through the cross of Jesus Christ. Are you going to live the cross-centered life? Are you going to go it your own way? Jesus is not a little sprinkle on the side that's like, oh, a little bit of Jesus and voila! 
Jesus doesn't present himself like that. It's, it's not like fire insurance, right? How many of you even recognize day to day that you've got insurance on your house? You wake up every morning, you're like, oh, I'm really glad I got insurance today. You don't think about it, right? It's just kind of one of those things that's on the side that's like nice to have, important to have. But day to day, it's like, I'm not thinking about it at all. Jesus is not nice little fire insurance over on the side that's like, ah, nice to have when we need him. Not at all. What Jesus is is the king of the universe that says, come to me, die to self, and orient all of your personal ambitions around him. If you want to experience life, it's time to stop treating Jesus like a little sidecar and say, Jesus is the main one. Jesus Christ wants all of us to come through him to God the Father so that we can have life. And today we have that opportunity. As you reflect this next week on the cross of Jesus Christ, I want you to think of two things. First is this, Romans 8.1 that says, There is now therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Let this be a week of freedom. Let this be a week where you say, my guilt and my shame will not hold me down. I may have made a, past, a mistake in the past. They may still hold it against me, but God does not. Act with confidence and boldness because you are forgiven in Christ. Number one, no guilt, no shame in Christ. Number two, this next week, when you think of the cross of Jesus Christ, ask yourself this question. How is the cross shaping my daily life? How is the cross shaping my daily life? This is the biggest event in human history, right? Even those who don't believe in Jesus Christ, those who want nothing to do with the Bible, everyone will acknowledge this is it. The cross is it. It's what we tell time by, right? Almost everybody gets a nice little PTO day this coming week because of it, it's a big deal. This has sent more people all around the world giving money, giving of their lives. It's the biggest event in history. But so often, we just treat it as an event to be remembered rather than a truth to be applied every single day. The cross of Jesus Christ, that event should affect the daily moments in our lives exactly what Jesus is saying in John chapter 12 when he says, whoever hates his life will gain his life. He's saying, hey, 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 every day, orient your personal ambitions around the cross of Jesus Christ. And so this next week, Good Friday, Saturday, Sunday, when you're thinking about the cross, ask a simple question. How is the cross affecting my daily life? Everybody here wants the same destination, eternal life, quality of life, joy, peace. There's only one. It's through the cross of Jesus Christ. And so today, come to the cross and say, Jesus, it's not me, it's you. Let us pray. Gracious and everlasting God, we give thanks today for the cross. And God, we pray that you would imprint the cross in each of our hearts and our minds, that you'd shape and form our thinking, 
can shape and form our acting, can shape and form our whole being through the cross. Lord, I pray that you would empower each of us to die to self today. I pray that you would give us boldness in the midst of discomfort. And I pray that you'd eradicate shame and guilt today. God, we thank you for what you have done through the cross of Jesus Christ, that it is done on our behalf. We give you all of the praise, God. We come to you through the cross. In Jesus' name, amen.